You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We said four quarters, all gas, no break. You guys did that today. Hell of a job. R-E-L-A-S. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Packers for SB Nation and Packer Report. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast on the internet. And the show, for fans who know what happened, they want to know why and how. We are going to kick off our mock draft series today. We're going to do three of them ahead of the NFL draft. We're going to do the first 10 picks today, the middle 10 picks tomorrow, and then on Thursday, the final 12 picks of the first round, culminating in a discussion around the Packers pick, of course, at 30. Um, This will be a mock draft of the players I think each team would be smart to draft, who I would draft for these guys. We'll, We'll talk, of course, about the players they are potentially likely to draft, guys that might make more sense, guys projected to them. But I want us to have a really good idea of the kinds of players who are going to be going, the areas of of need, and the potential trade opportunities that could be out there as well. But first, I want to talk about Brian Gutekinds because he spoke to the media on Monday and he spoke at length about the way in which this team was going to be drafting, the, the the digital machinations that they had to go through, the remote operations that they'll be going through. But for our purposes, the thing that was particularly interesting was how he was going to approach the receivers in this draft. As you can imagine, he got a lot of questions about the receivers, and I thought now was a great time to let him speak to that. Rather than me recap it, why not hear from the man himself? So I put together a a group of his clips that I think work together to give us an idea, a little bit of an inside look at the Packers' process as they head into the 2020 draft trying to add an impact pass catcher. In order to understand how the Packers will attack the draft, first we have to understand how they view a deep draft class. Does it mean you have to be aggressive? Does it mean you can sit and wait? And do the Packers even agree this is a deep draft class? You know, I think we'll, we'll be able to be as aggressive as we need to be. So it really obviously always comes down to the player and, and, and what kind of player we can acquire and as far as whether we're going to try to make a move you know, to go up, but I'd like to move around. Uh, I think there's, uh, I think it's a very good draft. Um, and I'd like to move around and see if we can get to the areas of the draft that I think are strong. Um, but again, it takes two. So we'll, we'll just kind of, um, I do like picking towards the back of the draft and up front there. This obviously that means we had a pretty good season last year. And, um, but at the same time, that's a long wait. Um, we've seen a lot of really good players come off the board. So, uh, we'll be prepared to move up if we need to be, and we'll be prepared to move back if if, uh, if that's what's best for us. So 
if he wants to get to areas where the draft class is strong, is receiver one of those spots in the draft? And what would be the circumstances that would warrant such a thing? It's a deep class this year. I think it's been talked about at length. Um, but at the same time, I think, um, you know, in, until you don't really know where the runs are going to happen, uh, I would imagine that, um, you know, it's going to go one of two ways. Either it's going to go fast or everybody's going to think they can get guys later and it's going to go slow. But um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But um, it is a deep class. But I don't think you can just sit and, and count on things, um, you know, to wait and expect to have you know, really good players there. So if you, you know, if there's guys up there that we think can play and can help us, I don't think we'll wait too long. That wording at the end stands out. I don't think we'll wait too long. Now, of course, that means there's players that they think are worth drafting. That is the prerequisite in all of this. They have to believe there are guys there worth taking. So what could that guy look like? In the past, Brian Gutekind seemed to have preferred big physical receivers, guys who can get down the field, you know, 6-4 and run 4-4. Is that his preference or is that just a coincidence? I think uh, I'm certainly, I mean, I think in all positions, bigger, faster, stronger is something I've always been taught. Um, but they got to be able to play. I mean, that's the first thing. And it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really matter what size you are. I can remember, you know, we were very, very high. Ted was very, very high on Russell Wilson when he came out. He didn't meet, meet any of the parameters. And, but he, he, he made, he, you know, he met the one that mattered, which is he could really play. And Ted knew that. And um, so I, you know, certainly I'd like them all to be big and fast and strong. It doesn't always come that way. But I, don't, I think it was a little bit more coincidence. You know, we drafted the three guys a couple of years ago that all have a lot of height and speed. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't really think I have a type. I think you kind of – you just need good ball players. And um, they got to be able to do a number of things. I think if you're a one-trick pony um, and you only really have one trade, I think it's tough in this National Football League. I think it would be able to do multiple things. Okay, we can believe him on the good football player part, but we know, historically speaking, the Packers have cared about certain athletic indicators. They care about a certain type of profile athletically. So how does that affect how they're going to pick these guys if they can't have those pro days? They're getting videos. Jalen Rager put together an incredibly athletic video. Does it matter? Yeah, not a lot. Um, You know, really, I think, we put probably put more stock in our area scouts and the relationships they may have with strength coaches, with different people that, um, you know, maybe have tested these guys in the past. Um, you know, we, we certainly got a lot of videos sent to us. We certainly looked through a lot of them. Uh, obviously, as you can imagine, they were, they were certainly edited in favor of uh, the players. Um, but it was, it was, it was a part of it. We went through a lot of it. Um, how helpful it was, uh, you know, not a ton. Okay, so if it doesn't matter, or at least you have to find other ways, what are those ways? What is Green Bay going to be hanging its hat on when it comes to getting these kinds of evaluations, especially when there are numbers and things that they have traditionally cared about, information they won't have access to? Yeah, I think um, certainly there isn't, there's things that you don't have this go around that maybe uh, you normally would have. Um, I, I still think Again, how we our process has been for the last 20 some years, um, we're very very heavy on on tape evaluation. That's obviously the most important part of what we do. Um, our guys on the ground throughout the fall uh, and even into the spring in the All Star games. I mean, they're what they the stuff that they come up with is exceptionally important to what we're doing. And and obviously we were able to get through that. So um, 
there are some things, certainly some measurable type things that we, we weren't able to get. There's some medical things that maybe we didn't, we wouldn't, we would have normally had that we don't have. But as far as being able to make decisions, you know, for us, I think I think we have enough um, to make good decisions and, and help our football team. And that would all be complicated enough, trying to put together all of the competing information and trying to put together a draft board. The draft is already hard. This is already very difficult to predict. Most teams are really bad at it, and even the good teams are, in a lot of cases, just go on a lucky streak. That's the problem with this. And so how is everything going? How is it going to look at 1265 Lombardi. Well, for starters, it's not going to be at 1265. Brian Gutekunst is going to be at home. Most of these guys are going to be at home. So how is this all going to go? Well, the Packers and the NFL had a trial run on Monday just to put everything in order. And Brian Gutekunst offered some insight on how that process went and what their process on draft night will look like. Yeah, I thought it went pretty smooth. I think a lot of it was just getting comfortable in how I was going to communicate uh, not only with the league and other teams, but also just with uh, the guys, you know, like um, when I wanted to talk to multiple people at one time or guys individually. So we kind of went through that. I think, um, you know, we, we got a lot of answers. That was the big thing was kind of getting through this and finding out the answers of really how we want to do this. There'll be times where there's a certain amount of guys that will be on an open line that we were conversing the entire time. And then there's other times where there'll be, you know, our doctors, certain scouts that aren't in, you know, in town um, where I may talk to them one-on-one. Once we get through the draft, that's not the end of it. That's not the end of roster construction. There are players out there. Brian Gutekunst mentioned checking back in with Tremont Williams after the draft. A guy like Snacks Harrison could be out there. Marquise Lee was just released by the Jaguars. He has a history with Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett. These guys could be potential players for the Packers once they get through the draft and decide, okay, we still have holes at X, Y, and Z. Yeah, we do that year-round. Um, you know, a lot of teams call it their ready board, your emergency board, um, different names for it. But, uh, yeah, I think you constantly have that uh, ready to go. And we've talked a lot about, you know, before here about, you know, roster building 365 days a year, and I, I believe in that a lot. Uh, we'll get to the end of this draft and the undrafted class that we signed. Um, and, you know, we'll take another look at a roster and kind of see, okay, what do we need to do from here? And we'll, we'll go, you know, attack that. Once we get to training camp, those things change because of injuries and different things. There were some other non-draft related revelations in that press conference. The Packers are proceeding as if training camp is going to go on as scheduled. Brian Gutekin said he basically can't think about anything beyond the draft because we just don't know. He, he said he's not, frankly, qualified to deal with some of that stuff. And even the undrafted free agent process is going to look different. Brian Gutekinds is leaving a lot of his staff in charge of some of these things to say, you guys figure it out because they can't be there and try these guys out. You have to trust your staff. Hey, this is a guy that did not get drafted. He's a good player. We should sign him. And there's no tryouts. You know, it's it's not going to be the same thing. Brian is just going to have to trust them. And, and that's the process they're going to go through this offseason. Green Bay has long been extremely productive at finding these guys. So we'll see if that is a factor this offseason as well. And speaking of trying to find an impact player, if you 
are hoping to be an impact player. And not on the field, but in the game of life, so to speak. There's no better place to do it than the U.S. Army. Whether your goal is to fight and cure diseases, develop technologies, or seek adventure across the globe, the Army is where all of that can happen, and so much more. The Army is a team of millions of individuals working together to take on the most complex problems in the nation and the world and to win. Ask yourself, what's your warrior? And text ALPL to 462-769 to find out. That's ALPL to 462-769. All right, so let's get to the first 10 picks of our mock draft. Remember, these are the guys I would take if I were running these franchises. So Things are going to look a little bit different at the top than they might otherwise in particular, but I think it still is a, is a fun exercise. At least it was fun for me, and I hope it's going to be fun for you. It's also just not going to look exactly like every other mock draft. That's the point. If you want a predictive mock, that's fine. Uh, that's not what this is, and I think those are, frankly, they're useful in that it's way to gauge where players are potentially going to go and what teams might be interested in doing. But it's pretty rare that anyone gets more than 11 or 12 actual picks with the players. Usually they're early because players at the top are more likely to be linked closely with a team. You know, Joey Bosa famously got guaranteed a spot by the Chargers. You know, these guys get promises from teams. It's hard to get past about 10. That's what Peter King says. After about five, I think it gets murky, but after 10, it's really anything goes. So that's why this is going to be particularly fun because I get to be in charge. I get to be the GM. Uh, Unfortunately, the first pick is not interesting. Joe Burrow is the guy. He is the best quarterback in the draft and therefore would already have a pretty big leg up on anyone else just because of the impact a quarterback can make. I don't think Joe Burrow is the perfect prospect he's being touted as. Uh, There are more questions about him than I think most people would like to admit, but he is the best quarterback in this draft. He is worthy of the number one pick, and I think he's going to be a good quarterback in the NFL. At two, I have the L.A. Chargers moving up with Washington. Washington needs... A bunch of guys. We don't know if they have a quarterback for sure, but they traded back into the first round to get Montez Sweat, and they already have Ryan Kerrigan. Another pass rusher is really useful, of course. You know, the Packers did it last year. They signed two free agents and and used the top 10 pick or top 12 pick, excuse me, on Rashawn Gary. And you say, okay, well, he plays a premium position. You draft him. Well, if you're Washington and you can pick up a pick or two, You know, the trade value chart says that the trade that I put together, which is two for six and 37, is not enough. But if you go by Chase Sturrett's actual value chart, the the expected value, the average value of a player in those spots, it is more than enough. Pro Football Focus has has using a a similar system where they're looking at expected value. And so uh, teams generally overvalue in terms of what they ask for in trades based on what they're getting. You know, three first-round picks for the for the number one pick. It's really too much, especially if you're just moving down three or four spots. And so this is a, this is a trade that I think would be good for both teams. And as you can see, it's going to work out for Washington, too, a little bit later. So the Chargers move up. They get Tua. It makes sense for L.A. because they are a quarterback away. They're probably not going to compete this year with Tyrod Taylor, but they're going to be good enough to not have a shot next year to get a real quarterback. They're going to win nine games, 
10 games just just by sheer force of talent. And okay, then in in 2021, how are you going to address the quarterback position? If you take Tua, assuming all the medicals are right, then you are in a position to then do a Patrick Mahomes situation where you draft a guy, you move up to take him, you let your current starter play one year, and then you hand the keys to Tua Tagovailoa, who is pretty close to Joe Burrow in terms of quality. Now, does this start a quarterback run? If I'm the Dolphins, I'm moving up. Now, I love Justin Herbert more than most, but he is, by most accounts, a legitimate franchise quarterback. So if you sit there at five and he's not there, if a team comes up, if if a team like Jacksonville wants to come up, if a team like Carolina wants to come up and get a quarterback, you're sitting there at five hoping one of those guys falls. If you loved Tua, that's out of the equation. So why not just move from five to three? You give up 39. Again, this fits with the Chase Stewart average expected value of that pick chart. And so if you're the Dolphins, this makes sense. You move up and get Herbert. And if you're Detroit, yes, you're giving up the opportunity to draft Chase Young. But you're sitting there at five now, and you're going to get one of either Chase Young or Jeff Okuda. To me, there's not a huge difference in their potential impact in the NFL. I think a, a shutdown corner is every bit as valuable as an elite pass rusher. So I would love that move if I was Detroit. And then if you're the, if you're the Giants sitting there at four, now you get to take arguably the best player in the draft. And you benefit from getting your quarterback last year. Whether or not you're sold on Daniel Jones, clearly the Giants are. And I would I would sit there at four. I'm not going to trade up to, to skip these guys, and I'm not taking Jordan Love at four. I'm taking Jace Young, and I'm going to feel really, really good about it. Signing Kyler Fackrell is not going to stop me from, from taking Chase Young. I know that. And then the Detroit Lions at five in the trade down still get Jeff Okuda. It is a perfect situation for them. They get to trade down. They still get to take Okuda. And they get the 39th pick. So, And the Dolphins have a ton of picks. If you have to make it work with an extra first, you do. But they don't have to because they have you know this the top of the second round pick. And, and Detroit's only moving down two spots. So it's not like they're going to they're going to need to be compensated significantly for that move or at least they shouldn't feel that way because frankly the value isn't there. All right, now Washington at 6. Yes, they miss out on Chase Young. Yes, they miss out on Jeff Okuda, but they still get a really really good player. They really need an offensive tackle so they can get the best one in the draft. Whoever they think that is, I think it's Andrew Thomas. So I'm going to take him at six for Washington and feel really good about it. I have a quarterback in Dwayne Haskins that I need to protect. I can get him a weapon, another one at the top of the second round. Now I've got multiple picks where I can do that. I I love that situation for Washington. And then at seven, Carolina. Now they have a decision to make. For me, the value of an offensive tackle, you signed Teddy Bridgewater, you paid Christian McCaffrey, Get some blockers. Jedrick Wills from Alabama is who I picked. It was either him or Isaiah Simmons. And to me, the value of an offensive tackle to them exceeds what a safety would have what would give them, whether you think he's a safety or a linebacker, not relevant. Yes, Isaiah Simmons has the potential to be a really, really good player, but 
I don't know if it's the kind of team where he makes sense. You're building your team around a specific identity. So buy into that identity. And I think Wills, frankly, is just a better prospect. So for me, that's the move there. Here's where things get really fun for me. The Cardinals at eight. They need an offensive tackle. They could go Worfs here, no problem. This was the CD Lamb spot for weeks. Then they traded for New Hopkins. So why not now take Isaiah Simmons and you get that versatile piece? You got Patrick Peterson. You got Buda Baker. You have Chandler Jones. Why not add another piece, a guy who can play a little bit of everywhere, who can cover deep, he can play in the box, he can blitz, he can he can make all of those other guys that I just mentioned better. I love that. They need to make their, their defense better because that was a major problem for them last year. They went all in on the offense, and, and that was the right move early with Cliff Kingsbury, but the thing that Cliff could never do at Texas Tech was put together a defense. So take a Swiss Army knife piece here. The Jaguars, this was this was tougher for me than I thought it would be because they could go with a cornerback here. I think there is there is, you know, some debate about whether there's someone worth it, but they could use one. Do you go quarterback? Do you go Jordan Love here? Is is that worth it? I didn't. I just said, okay, he's the best receiver in the draft. They need a receiver. If they're going to get Gardner Minshew a chance to succeed, take CeeDee Lamb. A big body. They replace Allen Robinson, basically. A legit number one receiver for your offense to get the best opportunity it can to succeed. And then they still have the 20th pick. You know, they get the Rams pick in the Jalen Ramsey trade, and so they still have an opportunity to make some interesting moves here. And at 10, Cleveland, Tristan Wirfs falls into their lap. They have a, a big need at offensive tackle. He can play left side. He can play right side. He can play guard if they need him to. But I think he's an offensive tackle. I think he's a really good one. He fits what they want to do, that outside zone scheme. Give someone that can protect Baker Mayfield. Give him an opportunity to get the ball to OBJ, to Jarvis Landry, and all these dudes. And you're on track to putting together a, a talented team that you now hope has a coaching staff that can maximize that talent. Plus, Worfs is a high-character guy, comes from that Iowa program. You know he's a no-nonsense dude. They need more guys like that in Cleveland after a pretty dysfunctional season for an extremely dysfunctional franchise. All right, before we get out of here, I do just want to hit on this Marquise Lee question because the Jaguars released him on Monday. He had his best seasons for Nathaniel Hackett when when he was in Jacksonville. I have a soft spot for USC receivers, I found. I was a huge Robert Woods fan coming out. Eventually, I was right about that. It took it took a while. Um, I was a huge, huge Nelson Aguilar fan. I turned out to be wrong about that. I was a huge Juju Smith-Schuster fan. Um, TBD on that. One great season with Antonio Brown in the fold. We'll see. I, I still think he's a really good player. Remember, some of you may, that I was advocating for him to Green Bay that season and, and think of how the world could be different if they'd done that. But Marquise Lee, going back, was a guy that I really liked, didn't run as fast as we thought he would, was someone who who won with speed in college and never quite found that role in the NFL. There are some things to like about him. The question is, is he better than someone they could get in the draft? He's a real NFL football player. 
And if he's going to play for cheap, if he's going to be on a Funchess deal, yeah, he's better than Jake Kumaro. We know that. He's probably better than Marquez Valdez-Scantling. We don't know that for sure. But it's if it's a back of a roster move, if he wants to come in and on a prove-it deal, try and, and make some plays, as long as you have a coaching staff and Matt LaFleur who's willing to say the best guy is going to play, then you don't worry about it. If you had a coach who was the kind of guy who only played veterans and it was like, look, if we sign this guy, he's never going to give the rookie a chance to play. Just by being there, he's never going to give the rookie a chance to play. And that's not what Green Bay wants. If they're going to spend a high pick on a receiver, they want him to have the opportunity to play. Well, that means you have to have a coach who's willing to do that. Yeah, he he would be one of the best five or six receivers on your team right now. No question about it. So if you believe that Matt LaFleur will let the best guys play, then you, you can sign him. I think it's the kind of thing where Green Bay – at the top of the draft, is going to be looking at a receiver. We just we just heard Brian Gutekunst all but say they want to go receiver early. So let's say the board doesn't fall right for them, and they have to wait. They have to wait until you know the end of the second, or they have to wait until the third, and they don't get that player. Well, then, if you don't get that star player to add, or that potential star player, then you need to be stronger on the margins. You need to turn Jake Kumaro into Marquise Lee. You need to turn MVS into Marquise Lee or, you know, whoever to give yourself a deeper group of receivers if you don't have any virtuoso talents to go next to Devontae Adams. So it's just it's something to think about. And I think it's going to it's going to be something that they won't make a decision on until after the draft anyway. So not something that we need to worry about now with the Packers, because we got to find out who they're going to draft first. And so we will talk more about that tomorrow. We'll get to part two of our mock draft series, starting with the New York Jets. They are officially on the clock. And a lot of names that that, that Packer fans like are going to go on, on day two of this, of this mock draft series. And I think I'm going to break some hearts, unfortunately. So tune in for that tomorrow and a lot more as we go into Thursday. I'm going to do a, a Periscope show on Friday night. It will not be a podcast. So if you want the day two thoughts, the Locked On Packers, it is going to be video only on Periscope. So go sign up, go follow me on Periscope, and we will do a live reaction show Friday night after day two. It will not be a podcast. Our, our next podcast on after the day one recap show, which will go up for Friday, uh, which will be a Periscope that we also have as a podcast. Are you following all of this? I'm not even sure I'm following all of this. We'll have a a Monday show that recaps the whole draft and will include thoughts on the day two picks. But a, a solo day two video pod on Periscope Friday night after the draft. Of course, you can replay it anytime you want. You can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski, best way to find the Periscopes. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Packers. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Wherever you find podcasts, you will find Locked On Packers. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked On Packers fan hotline, you can do it 920-341-3775 to stay Locked On Packers.